Hi, I'm Patrick Hollick, and you're listening to The Love Show. Today's guest is Jason Diamond. Jason is one of the best plastic surgeons maybe in the world. It doesn't take long just doing a little research to see that he's pretty much worked with every A-list and athlete and you name it in one capacity or the other. I really enjoyed talking to Jason about his process and his passion for reconstructive surgery and you know, helping people look better and feel better about themselves. I had a great time doing this interview. I hope you enjoy it. Where did you grow up? East Hanover, New Jersey. What was that like? It was great. I mean, I had a great upbringing with great parents, but I grew up in an all-Italian, like, blue-collar Italian town, like, everyone right off the boat from Sicily, like, all, like, heavy mob, <laughs> like, stuff going on, and I was one of the only Jews in town, so it was a little bit weird. Were they weird to you? Or yes, no? very, very. <laughs> a lot of, like, a lot of bullying, a lot of, like, you know, throwing pennies at me walking down. It was, it kind of sucked, like, it really sucked, actually. Yeah, that part sucked, but my parents were great, and I had some really good friends, and I still, some of my best friends to this day are people I grew up with more, I'm closer with them than I am my, my med school friends and even my, my college friends. I'm better with better friends with the guys I grew up with, like the small number of them. But it was, it was kind of weird growing up like that. What kind of music were you into when you were a kid? I was into, my favorite band was Rush. So I was into that kind of stuff. Like at the time, you know, Def Leppard, ACDC, but Rush was my favorite. I was in, I think, eighth grade and I was dying to go see Rush. I had to like earn money, so I got a paper route. And for three or four months, I you know did my paper route and made whatever you make eight you know. 20. I did a paper route, yeah. Yeah, and I made mm -hmm. my I made you know I, whatever I made, and I went and because Rush was coming to Madison Square Garden, so I went to Ticketmaster and I was like I'm going to get some good seats. I had like you know whatever I had a hundred bucks or whatever it was, and I got floor seats, and I had and and my one of my best friends he also was working and made money. We we're both huge Rush fans, and his dad took us, so it was his dad me and my friend, we got floor seats. I got there and I didn't even get to see the first glimpse of them because I was in eighth grade and when you're on the floor, everybody, there were seats, you know, they were like those little steel folding seats, like right, everybody right. was standing on them and they were all adults. I was one of the only kids. I couldn't see over anybody. <laughs> and I was I was so depressed. I was dying to see like Neil Peart's dr huge drum set. Yeah. I never even got the first glimpse of the band. So I you stood made the there, wrong investment. I was looking at the back of people's heads and I was like, I can't believe this. I was so depressed. And the funny thing about it was I was on a show. Uh, I got to be a part of, a, it was called the, the Mark and Brian show on 95.5 KLS. It's no longer a thing, but it was a big I remember show. that, yeah. So I went on there one morning, this is 15 years ago, and they interviewed me about some plastic surgery stuff. And then they said, they said, okay, stay tuned, everybody, at, at the end of the break, uh, uh, Getty Lee is going to be on. And I was like, no way, Getty Lee, like, that's like, he was one of my idols. And so <laughs> they're like, do you want to stay on and interview him? I was like, absolutely. So I stayed for the next segment. I told him that story and we laughed about it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a were you a school kid or a, like a street kid, growing up? School kid, yeah. I, I I was. I wouldn't call myself. I didn't learn anything on the streets. I was. Yeah. I was just a regular old, go to school, come home, do your homework. You know, I wasn't a good student, but I was. You know, I wasn't like into derelict type stuff either. Well, you weren't allowed to be. You'd get pennies thrown at you. Exactly. <laughs> oh, another interesting thing now uh -huh. that I talked to Getty Lee about as well. So growing up. Be, and I, I had a big insecurity about the whole being made fun of being Jew Jewish thing. I bet. And I would say Rush 
was probably one of the most popular bands throughout the town. Like mm -hmm. all the like the kids bullying me. Like it was like everybody loved Rush. And we had Rush. There was one one or two guys in town who would paint your denim jacket. We all had denim jackets at the time. You'd pay the guy twenty bucks and he'd draw whatever you wanted. Some people got Def Leppard, but most people had Rush painted on the back of their j denim jackets, and I did too. And it was like they were they were definitely the most popular band and i'd say a close second was kiss right a close second probably to to rush was kiss at wow. the time i liked rush i didn't like kiss yeah and i wasn't a huge kiss fan either but all these other kids i mean they were very popular and isn't interesting to know that i learned only recently that getty lee's jewish alex lifeson's jewish of course gene simmons is jewish paul stanley's jewish like ha I had no idea. Had I known that, and I remember it almost <laughs> brought tears to my eyes when I was watching a documentary on Rush five years ago. Right. I had no idea they were Jewish, and I'm watching five years ago, and literally almost tears started welling up to know, like, that kind of, like, took me back, and that made it all okay. Like, had I known that at the time? I know, there's leverage. Had I had, I had leverage. that leverage? <laughs> oh, my God, I would have been the, been the most popular kid in town. <laughs> so anyway, whatever, I'm okay, I'm off that.
what was kind of the influence to get into what you got into? What were you doing when you were a kid? Like, so, um, I wasn't doing much when I was a kid. I was I had was into baseball. I played baseball. I was riding my I got a motorcycle. I was into skateboarding and BMXing. I wasn't into anything academic as a kid. But when I got to high school in about tenth grade, one of the kids that I knew, one of the guys friends that I was friends with, was involved in a car accident and his face got smashed up. And it, de- it was pretty devastating for him. You know, no, no girl's ever going to want to go out with me. No one's ever wow. going to be seen with me, that kind of thing. And it affected all his friends, too. And so he went through this surgery, this reconstructive surgery, and they were able to fix him. And it was amazing. Like, the impact it had on him, it made him whole. And the impact it had on everybody it was unbelievable. And so that was sort of my first exposure to facial sort of surgery, reconstructive surgery. Mm-hmm. But more so he would bring in these pictures, these Polaroid pictures that the doctors took intraoperatively. You know, there mm-hmm. were cell phones, obviously, at the time. This is back in 1985 or six or something like right. that. So he had some snapshots, some Polaroids of, like, intraop, where his scalp was pulled down over his forehead, and you'd see all the plates and the screws and the bone and the blood. And he'd bring them in as a goof to show everybody, and all the girls would freak out, and the guys were, like, throwing up in the corner. But I was fascinated with it I, ah. I would study these things and just stare at them and every time like, he'd bring them in I'm like I want to look at him and I'd ask him can you bring those in I was just obsessed by it it was so weird so that I was like there was always that little light bulb like I kind of this is kind of cool to me but then but I still wasn't a great student I mean this is high school I was a CB student me too I was awful I, I wasn't attention. very yeah I wasn't focused at all mm-hmm. but you know what like it all sort of worked out the way it, the way it was supposed to, uh, because then when I got to college, I had a full gas tank because I wasn't burnt out, and then I was like, okay, boom, and I started. You applied yourself. I applied. So once I applied myself and I was able to get into med school, I always remembered that I was fascinated by that, and I just gravitated towards that field, and that's kind of how it all started. How tough is med school? It's tough, isn't it? Med school is it's the material is not tough. The material is very easy. It's just a ton of it. So it's really all rote memorization. That's really all it is. I tell everybody the first two years, all med school, the first two years you're sitting in a classroom for eight hours a day. And it's just, you have just tons and tons of material to memorize. And you're basically learning a new language. It's like learning a new language. That's basically what it is. So it's just Mm -hmm. tons and tons of memorization. And I had, you know, I have a pretty good memory, and I, and I, but I'm a grinder too. Like I will sit there if it takes 12 hours to, I will sit there for that 12 hours. Like I have that. That's just a ability. I when have. you focus in on when something, I, focus you're in, there. I don't stop till I'm done. So I was able to get through it. I wouldn't. Say, I think. I think anybody can do it. I tell anybody, anybody with any IQ can do it. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of do you have the grinding ability to get through that that material. That's all. That it seems is. to be a similar trait in everyone that's kind of successful. Is that that kind of almost crazy focus right I, I think that you're right <laughs> yeah I think that you're right I I'm think like has- when I do something I'm like just straight the buildings can burn down and I'm doing something until you know I would work on images and then my back would creak when I would sit up because <laughs> it's been eight hours yeah this is weird yeah I think it has nothing to do with intelligence actually I, I think that it's Repetition. I think uh, success I'm talking about like mm-hmm. the people I know that are successful I think it's got nothing to do with IQ nothing I don't want to say intelligence because there's emotional IQ that's I get important it. those types yeah. of things I think it's somebody's and and I think this goes for athletics too it's just a philosophy I have and probably musicians I think it's the people who have the ability to grind it out whatever they're doing those are the people who are going to be successful mm-hmm. what was your first big what was a big pinnacle moment like when you finished med school what was like your first big job 
or when you I started? still remember well I still remember the very first sur- I remember the very first surgery I ever did as a resident which was cool I remember because you know as a med student and even for your first however many years of residency you're always with the attending the supervising surgeon and they'll tell you okay go ahead and make that cut or go ahead and do this I remember the very first one in residency where the attending was like just go do it I'll be in the other room and I wow. was making the decision that was totally cool that was a fracture repair and it was so cool to be like I just did that on my own with my own decisions it was awesome but that was still i was still under the supervision of you know i wasn't on the hook for it was that here or back east no that was back east but then i remember my very first big facial cosmetic procedure here as well it was on a man his name was jose i won't say his last name he had hiv which made it another which gave it another level of just because you know your fear of getting stuck and it's your first one And this was like an eight-hour surgery Mm -hmm. Uh, but it went beautifully i did his brows and his eyelids and i tightened his neck and jawline it went great i still remember that surgery like it was yesterday and that was probably that was in 2000 i think wow yeah that was AIDS was a big deal then. I mean, yeah, that worrisome was big, and not informed, right? Yes, yes. It was just yes. It was still. I mean, people. I think they had the triple medications at the time, and people were just starting to like be able to say, okay, this isn't a death sentence anymore. Mm-hmm. But it was still very nerve wracking to get stuck. You know, you didn't really know if you'd get stuck by a needle if you were going to. So it was. It was very. Ner- I remember finishing that surgery, and it was like a huge weight lifted off me. I think because it was my first real case on my own that somebody really paid me for, mm-hmm. and I didn't get stuck. I remember going home. And what do you mean didn't get stuck? I didn't get stuck by a needle. I got like I didn't, you. So I didn't control, you know, because you're in these long surgeries. It's very common. You'll get stuck by a needle. You'll stick yourself, you know, and possibly transmit some blood from somebody else into you. And uh, I remember going home. It was just the biggest. I remember going out to dinner and just being able to relax over dinner. Like it was the best feeling ever. Yes. Was there, is there a lot of blood in the process? I've never seen it. Certain surgeries, there is a lot of blood, and certain mm-hmm. surgeries, there's none. It just depends on what we're doing and the, and the anatomy of that given individual. Right. Did you have a show? I did. It was called Dr. 90210. I didn't create that show, but that show was on right when I first was getting started. Right. And it was a reality show about plastic surgeons. And I remember seeing a few of the first season's episodes and going, this is pretty, pretty informative, actually. It was a pretty good show, but I wasn't a part of it. But for this, it was, and it was such a phenomenon. I think the first season they had eight half hour episodes. There were eight shows each half hour, and it did so well. They got extended for the second season, and they more than tripled their airtime. They went to 13 one-hour episodes. Wow. So they needed to – I was still laugh at this. They needed more talent, they call us. Uh-huh. I still laugh at that. Like So it was talent. multiple surgeons. Yeah, so, so the, fir- the first season had like – they featured like really one surgeon, the guy who created it. But the second season, now they wanted three other doctors – to feature, so they wanted a total of four. So they went around, they were looking for a woman, they got Linda Lee, who's a good friend of mine, they were looking for a few other people, and they wanted like the hotshot up and comer. So they interviewed 10 guys for that, and they I was in that in that list, that short list, and they interviewed me and- You had a, been, you were in the Los Angeles. Yeah, I was in Los LA at the okay. time, yeah, and they liked me for that, so they offered it, and everybody told me no, don't do it, because at the time, TV and advertising for plastic surgeons was still very taboo. Dangerous. Still dangerous. And and I was from the old, I learned from the old school guard. All my mentors were all the old, ancient, old famous masters. guys, all the masters. And they were against it? Totally against yeah. it. They were like going to disown me had I done it. And I knew that. And so I was very torn on whether to do it. And my nurses said no. And my wife said no. And all my acquaintances were like, no, 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 you can't do this. You, you, you know, you, because I had, I had aspirations of being the top facial guy. I studied with the top facial guys. Mm-hmm. I was doing these advanced techniques. 
I was of that mindset, and that's where I wanted to be. I didn't want to be a. Ch- I wanted to be the most expensive guy. That taught. That's what I wanted. Even from the minute I got here, I just knew the quality. Early on. Early on, that's what I knew, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, you know, these guys are going to disown me, and that's going to, you know, be a negative to this. But I knew also the quality of work that I was going to put out there was going to blow away anything that TV had ever seen. I knew that because I saw what was out there before. And I knew I was going to show these techniques that are the most sophisticated, highest level facial techniques that give beautiful, natural results, nothing crazy. And so I made the decision to do it despite everyone saying no, despite my wife saying no. And then, and it, and my, the biggest issue for me was what my mentors were going to think. And then I thought, you know what? These guys, I love these guys, but they're not paying my bills. I was like, yeah. they're not paying my bills, so I'm going to do this. It's a big decision. And I made the decision to do it, and, and you know, and it, I never looked back. Was it a good change? It was a great change. How long did you do it for? I think we were on for about six seasons. Yeah, so it went from like six 2005 years? to, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I, I never right. even knew you were on television. Somebody I hike with goes, he had a show. I'm like, I don't know if you're yeah. talking about the same person. Yeah, yeah. It was so, <laughs> so that went from like, I don't know, two, I can't remember exactly, 2005 to 2010, but within that five years were six seasons or something to that effect. And then I did another, then there was like a five-year gap where it went off the air. They finished it. Mm-hmm. And then a few of us made the decision. Like, And ever since that went off the air, I'm telling you, even to this day, every day we get 10 emails and Instagram DMs. Like, when are you going to do another show? When are you going to do another show? Like, people are fascinated by that stuff. Well, yeah, they don't get to see what you're up to, right? They don't they want to know. Well, you got your Instagram now, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and that, I think that I think that's helpful. But before this was so about four years ago as instagram was just starting it wasn't mm-hmm. really anything like it's close to now probably in 2014 maybe 2015 so our show had been off the air for four or five years i made the decision to get a group of guys together and let's create another show mm-hmm. so i got about four other surgeons we funded it we paid for it we, we hired a producer we just put together 13 episodes and netflix bought it we put it together netflix liked it they bought it what's so it called it was called uh the uh, celebrity plastic surgeons of Beverly Hills. Oh, that's cool. So it was on for one episode for one season. Right. We did only did one season. Netflix picked it up in America. It did so well in the American Netflix that the international Netflix bought it. So then it's now it's airing in like six English speaking foreign countries. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. Did it help you build your brand? It did. did. It, it very much helped. Yes. Did you notice a quick quick bump quickly. from it? Yes. Yes. It helps quickly.
When do you start becoming like, it seems like you work with everyone in pop culture. When was, when did that happen? Did it follow the show or was it during or how did it go? I mean, you, you know, work with everyone. Yeah, you know, I would say like I, you know, ever since the first exposure back in 2005, I started getting some high level people back then, but I think... I think the show maybe had something to do with that, but I think that's just more like, you know, you're here for, now I've been here 20 years. I, like like with anybody who's been in business, you can't really fake that. I think after a period of time, the people who, you know, who the, the people in town get to know know who you are. Right. And you, you know you know as well as anybody, this is a small town. Like even it's though- It's referral no, based. It's all referral based. Yeah. So, you know, the influencers, they tell the people that, that they know and, and, and it just, it kind of just spread kind of quickly. Just, I think it's just from time of, of certain results that are being, that I've, you know, I'm able to deliver and over time people are just talking about it. So, yeah. Do you yeah. ever get just exhausted? Because you seem to work like a madman. You work, I don't know, how many hours a week? Yeah, a lot, you know, a lot. You know, I don't even know. I'm... I see you in your, like, I, when you come to see us at dinners or parties, you're wearing scrubs. I'm in scrubs half the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and today's, like, my first day off. I took off. You called me to do this. I said, I'm doing this. Yeah. So I took today off. I must have cost at least uh, $100,000 <laughs> just having you sit here for 45 minutes. Well, so today's my first <laughs> day off. I can't afford in, you. In my, today's my first day off in months. But, but yeah, I work a lot, but I don't, I, I don't get exhausted at all. When I've traveled, and I don't travel much anymore, 
when I used to go to the Middle East, I went a lot to uh, start up a practice there. That was very tiring because of the jet lag. What were you doing, soldiers, or what did you do? No, in the I was East? doing just every, all. You know, there are a lot of reconstructive things. A lot mm-hmm. of people were burned. A lot of just a lot of straight cosmetic things. You know, in the Middle East, there's a, a whole host of people who need to be taken care of. So I would go over there, and I would go. I went a number of times. That was hard, and that I would get tired because of the jet lag. And I did, you know, and finally I made. The, I haven't been there in years now. I don't go anymore, but I used to go a lot. I'll still go to New York. Like I just got back from New York three weeks ago, and I'll go for three days and work from 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. And I don't get tired when I'm at work. It's right when I get home, though. I'm like, you can't even talk. You to feel me. it. I'm then. brain dead. But when I'm done, but until that last patient is taking care of. I'm, well, that's I'm your focus. That's yeah. the kid that got through school and did everything. That's right. right? And then you're like, uh. That's right. <laughs> and and a lot of the surgeries I do are, you know, I do nine, ten hour surgeries. I literally, I won't take a break for seven hours. Then I'll get up for a five minute water and like bathroom break and then I'm back in there and I, it feels to me like it's been five minutes. Right. And I, and I, I mean, I'm a hundred percent the whole case. I don't get tired but then the minute I'm done it's like, you know, I get home. Jessica wants to talk to me, about it, and I'm like, I, I just can't. I can't. Like, do you feel like you keep evolving? Do you, do you just keep getting better at or learning and learning, or is it some place where this is going to be this, or is the technique keep increasing? I try to get better with every surgery, and you know, we, they we call it a practice for a reason. You know, you figure out what works and what doesn't, and what you know, you figure these things out. But it's at when you first start practice, you have a big learning curve. Like you're learning things on a de- now. You know, we're so honed and refined that it's a much slower more gradual learning curve I'm still still things change but they change very slowly incremental incremental because you want to see the surgery did four years ago you want to see what it looks like today so it takes time to slowly make these changes but I make the analogy you know I make the analogy it's kind of like a a guitar player it's kind of like take Eric Clapton you know someone like that like they have hone their craft so well and people always ask about the technology and it's like he's going to be Eric Clapton whether he's on this guitar right behind me or whether yeah, he's on something a, a in 20 the million dollar guitar it's the it's the same with cameras people always say I know you're using a special camera and you're like it really isn't the camera right it's really subject it's light it's soul it's what's happening right it's who you're playing with like I'm sure it's like who your patient is that's right the work could be better or worse you that's know, right things are like that do you ever have to say someone comes to you and they want something done and you completely disagree with it do you have to be like i am not gonna do that or yeah does that happen it happens a lot i'd say i i'd say i turn away about 50 percent of the people i see it, it not not being rude in a, no. in a polite way just telling them you know what i don't think either i don't agree with what you want and i don't want to do that because i don't think it's right you may want that now but in five years you'll regret it and i don't want to be a part of that so i'd say that probably accounts for 15% of the people I turn away, 20% of the people, but, mm-hmm. but the remainder, the majority, 80% of the people I turn away are people I just don't think I can give what they want. And I'm honest with people. That's like, great. Yeah, I'm totally honest with people. I think that one of the factors involved in the results that I, you know, the, the happy, the high percentage of happy people I have mm-hmm. is that I know who I can do what on. Like, I, you, that's what I'm really good at. And I know who I can't do what on. And so I just don't have a lot of people who I can't get, you know, if, someone's, if someone wants something I can't give them, there's no way I can make them happy. So those are the people that I just, I'm like, you know what, I just can't do that Or you can you. maybe tell that the decision isn't really sunk into them yet. 
maybe it might be an impulse or an emotional moment, right? A lot of and people are going through like, something. Oh, I right. don't really want that. Right. A lot of people are going through a bad time. They think this is going to like get them through their divorce or whatever when it's not going to, that's not the right reason to do it. There's a lot of that as well. Have you seen a lot of pressure with, with people with like this Instagram phenomena of everyone being famous and pressure and beauty and have you seen it really ramp up people yes. to want to do things or think that that's the reason just like the camera it's like if i had this facial or this surgery i would have more followers or be liked more is there a lot of that there's, going on there's a lot of that there's a lot of that and there's a lot of people being more self-aware of their appearance because of the facetime and the skyping and they're seeing their face much more than you and i saw our own faces yeah as a kid. never like we i would glance in a mirror squint and then move that, that's on that's it that's it right that's exactly <laughs> right now people are seeing their face you know, exponentially more than we did. So there's a lot of that as well. That's a really good point that yeah. I've never really put into words. Yeah. That you see your face a lot more in the new world. Yep. What's one of the craziest things someone ever wanted to, that you remember? Well, I, one of the weirdest things I ever saw, I saw a guy who was one of these body modification guys. And he had everything you ever heard of or saw, he had it. Oh, those the, the bicep implants and all that kind of crazy? The split tongue, the split tongue, the big giant earring things, the Prince Alfred penis ring, all right. that stuff. But he had like BBs implanted in his forearm, these BBs that were infected, and he had horns implanted in his head. Wow. Horns. Wow. Silicone horns, so it looked literally like a demon on both sides. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like it. And he wanted those out. He's like, you know what? I'm like, that's all you want out? Like, he had every other thing known to men and still, but he's like, yeah, this is just too much. I'm like, I wonder uh, if it's playing God to I, be like, I'm going to alter everything that was given to me. I wonder if it's a complex like that. You know, I've. You but he may, didn't want the devil anymore. Yeah, he didn't want the devil anymore. And I'm not qualified to talk about the psychological things and all that. But so I took the horns out for him and it was, I've never seen anything like it. But I will say one thing I was so impressed by the guy who did this in whatever basement in whatever alley they did this, this guy impl surgically implanted these horns better than I could have. Because mm -hmm. they were these silicone pieces. The guy made an incision, did a dissection. Whoever did that would make one of the world's greatest surgeons. It was unbelievably well done. That's wow. all I can say. I couldn't even see the guy's scars. And he I like got, that you admired the work. <laughs> I really admired the work. It was really impressive. I mean, that guy is super skilled. Whoever did that was just crazy. How yeah. dangerous and how often are these, these practices going on where people are doing things in the alley, in the garages? I, I hear of girls getting their butt implants laying on their stomach, but it's not by a professional. It's like yeah. somebody that comes to their house. And yeah. People are dying, right? It's a very dying. serious... It's unbelievable that this still goes on. Now, I saw a lot of this in the Middle East. When I went to the Middle East, there was a lot of that. Like, oh, Doc, I went to... Syria and someone's basement in Syria and they injected, you know, who knows what and it turned out to right. be motor oil or whatever. And that there's still so many people that I, I had seen who you have lifelong problems from that because you can't get that stuff out safely most of the time. So there's a lot of that there. But And I'm not shocked that that goes on there because they just, you know, I mean, it's for whatever. It's third world, some third, you know, third, some third world countries where people may not have. Well, there's a lot of imitation, right? Yeah. Where you go, like there's like heavy imitation of what they're seeing visually in America or Europe, right? It's just... Yeah, absolutely. So, so I understand that goes on there, but it still goes on here, which blows me away. And I just like, I obviously can't say who, but I literally just saw a very well-known celebrity two weeks ago. And she's like, you know, can you check out my, my 
buttock. I've got some like red veins. And I'm like, well, first of all, you know, I'm a face guy, but I'll, but she's like, yeah, but, but I just want you to look at it. So I looked and she had some weird vein. I'm like, what's that from? She said, well, I had some guy come to my house and inject me. I'm like, and mm-hmm. I'll already, before I even got there as a story, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This can't be what you're about to tell me cannot be true. I said, well, what, who was it a doctor? I said, who, what doctor was it? No, it wasn't a doctor. I'm like, you got, wow. okay, what, what was it? No, no, I don't know who it was. A guy came in from Florida and injected my buttock. I'm like, I'm like, and what was it? Was it, was it a FDA approved product? I think it was a, it was a jug of something. I'm like, you gotta be fucking wow. kidding me. And this was the same old school stuff that, that kills people. She, and so I, I had her get me what it was. It was, uh, it was a non-medical grade, a silicone used for like shops, like like metal, whatever kind of shops. <laughs> just, just some guy just came, injected her. I uh. mean, this stuff kills people. And this is a high-level celeb. This is someone who could afford anything and, I mean, playing with her life. What do you have to do? Go get it out? You can't get it out sometimes. Uh. Now you just sort of have to wait and see if it's, is it going to cause a problem. You know, the, the issue with these things is that sometimes these silicone-type injections don't cause a problem until literally 10 years later. In 10 oh, years, man. the body starts to react to it. It sure. happens all the time. So she may not, hopefully, God, God willing, she never has a problem from it, but she may not develop it. But in 10 years, it may just completely explode in her body and like create a huge issue. What do you go into, like cardiac? Or what, what happens? Yeah, what I mean, does the can, body do? It rejects it? It can, it can cause pulmonary emboli where it can get into the system and get into the lungs and like suffocate you. It can cause... Uh, what are called granulomas, which are basically just infections that they, it starts to get infected. And once an infection occurs deep, that can that infection can cause a, a sepsis, a, a, like a, a systemic infection that can kill you, or it can just cause uh, cosmetic deforming lumps and draining pustules. And, and the problem with it is, Oftentimes you can't get those injections out because they embed around the nerves and the muscles and the big arteries. And sometimes, it starts trying to adapt. Yeah, and sometimes you're just stuck with dealing with the symptoms with these things. It's really, I, it's it's so hard for me to believe that this was done in this day and age right here in Beverly Hills. That's amazing. Just I so never even, believe. the first time I heard about it, I thought it was just some sort of uh, wives' tale. I'm like, people aren't getting fake butts. That's bullshit. Yeah. I'm like, no, they are. And I'm like, that's so, that's peculiar. Yeah, and there are safe ways to do that. My colleagues do that who are body specialists. They'll inject fat, which is safe as long as, I mean, look, that's one of the most dangerous procedures. Can you move your own fat around? Yeah, they move their own fat around, and that's a very dangerous procedure unless it's done by somebody who knows exactly how to do it, but it can be done safely. You can inject some FDA-approved products safely, although Mm -hmm. it's very expensive to do that, but you can do that. But to have a, a, a medical, an, a, a, an industrial grade Home silicone, Depot silicone, literally Home Depot, <laughs> Home Depot silicone. That's what it is. In a non-sterile jug, it's 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 insane to me that people would do this.
Did you meet your wife in the space, or was she someone you met along the way? Or she does surgery, or she doesn't? My wife does not do surgery. She is a board-certified internal medicine doctor and pediatrician. She's got two board certifications. She so doesn't I'm, work at your place, or she, she does? She does work at my place, but she's not working in the in that capacity. She got works it. as a over the years. She just learned the lasers, so she does a lot of the laser treatments. So she's still a double board-certified medical doctor doing the lasers, which mm-hmm. is which is a higher level than a you know a, a, not that there's anything wrong with a nurse or a PA, but this is still a doctor doing our lasers so she does that and she kind of runs the office she just sort of is very smart she's the brains she's behind the brains. every great she's man is a woman and I, I couldn't even honestly I'm not even joking when I tell you like I don't even know what's in the business account like numbers wise she does like yeah. she pays all she knows that I don't even know what we have what we make she knows we have a few mutual friends I think where the woman just makes everything you yeah. know just yeah. so much better yeah and this the the strength yeah what well how do you get inspired now that you've been through so much so much work and so much stuff. What makes you want to go to work? I'm I'm inspired by my kids. I'm inspired by my kids. They just they've this like I just see how happy they are. Like I, I it's funny. One of, one of my kids, my my eight year old, he's no matter what he's doing, he hums. He just he'll sit there, whatever he's doing, he's just humming. <laughs> like and I and I sit there. I'm like, man, that is awesome. Like to just self entertained. Yeah, to be in that place. So I find myself, so I'll be like, all right, so when I'm at work, I'll start injecting and I'll start like fi- like humming. I don't want to hum out loud because I don't want to make the patients feel weird, but I hum, like I imitate his hums as I'm just doing my thing. I'm like, it's so cool. So that inspires me to be like, know that I can still have that kind of- Like a meditation. Youthful joy doing mm-hmm. what I do. So that's kind of cool. I'm inspired by my patients. I just see the cool, I have the, I have the best practice in the world. I have the best patients in the world. Just- people from all different you get to meet everyone that's what i like about uh, about working in film and photography is that it's like i always thought i was a people person and they maybe the camera was just an excuse to understand people yeah it's yeah it's great i get to i get to talk and and i'm just i'm very blessed and fortunate to have the clientele that i have so i get to see i mean I get to see the biggest success stories in the world on a daily basis five ten people who are the number one in the world at what they do yeah and just to hear how they how they got to it. It's just so awesome to hear these stories. Do you see similarities, whether it be someone in like an NBA star or a tastemaker or whatever? Is there like kind of a same through line that you very see? Very much so. Very much so. Most, I'd say most of the time, it's somebody who wasn't a prodigy as a kid, who uh, most of the time it's someone sort of similar to me where they just were going along and they found something they liked and they grinded it out it wasn't like an overnight thing mm-hmm. most most of these stories are not an overnight thing and it's just they just were doing it and doing it and the next thing you know they had they after enough success and really honing it and they just boom that happened with i mean it even happened with Scotty Pippen like one of the 
one of the greatest basketball players. I of all saw time. him recently at a dinner. He looked great. Yeah, and yeah. Scotty was like a, he was a I think a walk on in college. Like wasn't even a, like a recruited high school. Like stories like that. It's just but then they make the decision to just really yeah. get good and like just it's just always it always fascinates me to hear these types of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with music too. A lot of these musicians the same thing. Like you know the story the 10,000 hour thing like yes. they people and you just it, it's so I, I'm very inspired by hearing all these stories. It's really really fascinating for me. Back to skin. What are like good non-invasive things to do with skin? What do you suggest? Well, like, there's the things you would suggest. One of the things that we do a lot of that a lot of people come in for and have been talking about is what what I call the insta. We've termed it the insta facial. It's it's a skin treatment that's involves several modalities. It's a it's a combination treatment. Light late very light lasering, taking your blood laying the blood on, even injecting the blood into the skin, and then rolling the blood in with needles. So that combination treatment, what I have found, again, over years of doing these things and getting the mixture just right and getting the the combination, the percentage of the combinations just right, it's sort of one of the best, it is, in my opinion, the best minimally invasive thing you can do for your skin. It looks good. There's a 12-hour downtime or so. but It takes 12 hours to do? 12-hour downtime. Meaning recover downtime. from it? Yeah, meaning you'll be red for about 12 hours. Got it. So if you do it on a Monday, the next day you're fine to go. That, to me, is the most effective, minimally invasive skin treatment there is. Now, there are stronger things that can have a longer-lasting, more significant impact, but those have downtime. There's a whole uh, list of lasers, and we do every one of them. There are medi- there are medium strength, strong strength, and like bazooka what did strength. I, I had uh, my blood vessels zapped. What was that, that strength? W- that was a low level. Low level. Low level. Yes. <laughs> there, yes. That was. There's no downside. I was with like, that. I was scared of it, and it hurt. And most girls are like, it doesn't hurt at all. I'm like, it yeah. felt like it was someone would snap me with a rubber band. You That's know? right. That's right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And I do that laser. The one that you did, I do on myself too. And I don't even put numbing on because I'm just used to it now. Yeah, that that's a low level with no downtime. There are, but but you didn't have the full instafacial treatment. You just had one component just for the for, yeah. for the vessel. The instafacial treatment would like you had no you could have gone right to work right after that. But if wow. you had had the instafacial, you would have been more red for that day. And then the next day you would have been fine, but your skin would have been overall much clearer after the. How long does that last for when you're clear? Uh, everybody's different. It can last for months. It can last for, it can last for one month. It can last for three months. It is a treatment you do need to repeat. And I tell everybody taking care of the skin is like fitness. It's never ending. You're never done. Right. You owe it. You know, you just got to keep maintaining. Is is like retina A still going on or is that out of, I mean, is there fads? Is there things that come and go? There are things that come and go. There are things that come and go, yes. Mm-hmm. Retin-A is not a fad. Retin-A is a medication that does have benefits for collagen production. The issue with Retin-A is it takes like years. It just takes forever to see benefits. But if you work in, and, and you, you know, you've got to stay out of the sun and it can cause a lot of irritation. Is it a rumor that you have to, that you build up dependency on it or is that a, another rumor? No. Like that you have to keep using it if no. you start using it no, like a drug? No, that's a rumor. That's rumor. not true. But these other treatments we do are so much more instant gratification compared to Retin-A that people don't really, it's just not really that commonly used. People want to see something quickly. And these treatments give an immediate improvement. Who dubbed that one facial the vampire facial? Is that what someone called it? Or what yeah, was that? So it's Because it's, it's, it's using your own <clears throat> blood, right? Yes. Uh, it was, interestingly, and I know the guy and I'm friendly with him, it's a funny story. When that, so it was this doctor from Alabama, he 
he's an emergency room doctor. But for whatever reason, he got exposed to it. One of his friends was talking, I, th I think one of his friends who was orthopedic or something told him about it. And he said, let me just try it. And he tried it and found, you know, and he tried on somebody's face and found that it was very helpful. And he, very smart guy, he trademarked the term vampire facelift. And that's a sexy term. And he's a very smart guy, very smart computer guy. And boom, it kind of went viral. And he had the trademark on it. So now he, I don't think he has a trademark on it anymore. I think that ran out, I believe. But for the first two or three years, you couldn't use that term without licensing. Where without is he paying from? Where was Alabama. He? Alabama. Yeah, he's from Alabama. Yeah, and he's an emergency room doc. He's not wow. a plastic surgeon, not a dermatologist, but he was smart and very smart guy and a good guy. And yeah, he trademarked that term. And now, now I think people use that term all the time. Without, I think that I th I don't know the legalities. Sure, of it, but I but, just heard that thrown yeah. around. Yes. Uh, how much is nutrition like eating good? How important is it to be something yeah. like that? Um, you know, a healthy lifestyle, nutrition, hydration is extremely important for your for your skin and overall cosmetic appearance. It's the cosmetic appearance of your skin is very dependent on your lifestyle for sure. And so some people are genetically blessed no matter what they do, they're going to have great skin. But most people, your lifestyle, your diet, your hydration does affect the quality of your skin for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think surgery's heading? What do you think that what's around the corner with it? Do you think it's still evolving all the time? You know, it's an interesting question. I get that question all the time. So I started doing surgeries in '97. So we're talking how how many years is that? Almost thirty. How many how many years? Is that? We're in 2019. So, so I don't know. Tw whatever. That's long a long time. time, right? I, there's technologies that certainly come out uh, that, and I and I stay on top of everything. When a new technology comes out. I will pay attention to it, and certainly I've adopted some new technologies in what I do. But I will tell you, those have a very those technologies have a very small a um, very small percentage of the outcome. The outcome, like we talked about, it's the it's those ten thousand hours that have been put in. So the answer to your question in a roundabout way is, I think there will continue to be technological advancements that help us achieve our results, but no, no game-changing things. I mm -hmm. think it's the, the game, the results that we want come from those, the skill, the talent, the experience to, you know. How many did you see game-changers in your, in when you were coming up? How many technological advancements? Yeah, like big game-changers that were real big differences or not a lot? Not a lot. Very, very small ones. Mm -hmm. Small ones. Incremental. Like, yeah, and, and those change, those things that, that make the changes that we use, they maybe help the surgery go a little faster, they maybe help, like, they, they may make the surgeon's life a little easier, but I don't think they really affect the result that much. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's that kind of thing. It, it, again, uh, you know, look, you're a, you're, you play drums, obviously. Like, mm -hmm. maybe if, uh, maybe if you, you know, you had a little advancement in the something, is it going to make a difference to the drum playing? Probably not. Maybe makes like yeah. it's that kind of thing. There's you still have to move the tissue the way you want to move it. You have to create the proportions you want to create that you that you know are going to maximize a person's face. We're still bound by Mother Nature for healing to occur, right? The body has to heal, and I don't think anything's going to change it. And those are the most important factors. Now there are technological advancements that come out that I think are probably more beneficial for like body contouring there are these body contouring techniques and innovations that come out like cool sculpting and m sculpting and all these things and mm -hmm. we have those and do those as well and they're very helpful i think those technologies improve over time but again i think they improve slowly so i don't think there's going to be boom one thing that all of a sudden 
no one needs liposuction anymore. No one needs a tummy tuck anymore. I don't think that that is yes. even close. Yeah. But you know, those things are helpful. Maybe for a, maybe a little bit better fat reduction of the abdomen, a little bit better cellulite reduction. Maybe the technologies will improve and make those things a little better. But I just don't see any major changes coming along. I really don't. Do you feel like you're uh, interested in fading out one day and just watching the next ones and run the show, or do you want to be hands on forever? You know, I well, I love what I do. I really uh-huh. love what I do, and I tell everybody if I won the billion dollar Powerball today, I would go to work tomorrow. I sure. might work a day. I might take a day off a week, and I might work do. A, I might be even more selective than I am in doing this here. Although I'm super selective now, but I would still work because I love it. And I would say I want to keep working until the minute I stop loving it, I, I'd stop. Yeah, you know the minute, but but I love it, and I could see myself at six late sixties. I could see myself still wanting to do a surgery that I know I can do better than anybody. I could still see myself wanting to do that when I'm late sixties. Yeah, and I don't like to do things that I think someone can do better. Like, right. and, and so I turn a lot of things away. Well, you're also, honest that way. That's your yeah. nature. There are certain things that I know I can't do as well as somebody else, and I refer those things out. But as long as I still think I can do it better than anybody else or give that patient, well, I'm going to still, I mean, I still want to be able to do it. That's, that's my mindset right now. Thanks for coming, man. Thanks, man. This is fun. I'll speak to you. I'll see you soon. Well, let's go surfing this summer for sure. I'm in. Sounds good. I want to thank my engineer on this episode, Stan Mizrahi. If you'd like to support us, we are at patreon.com slash patrickholic. Thank you for listening. This is The Love Show. 